I almost want to say do it again. <laughs> Thank you. I hope those words of encouragement uh, witness to your heart uh, today because I know uh, that there are those of us who are uh, living in the realm of the impossible and physically we cannot see how this thing can end. But God can. God can. And it's faith is really walking into that reality. And I think that's when we come to this passage today in Romans 4, the last verses, starting with the 17th, the second half of the 17th verse going to the 25th verse. It is just, it is just a reminder. Um, and I think it's the beauty of the fact that uh, you know, the entrance into this faith is, um, is all about God. And the fact that you may be sitting here today either thinking about whether this faith is real or not or whether you're walking for years in this faith, it all goes back to the fact that the, that the walk into it is by, the, by, the, by his righteousness given to you as a gift through faith. And if that's true, then what can't he do? And, and how we should be living our life in such a way uh, that, um, that God has credited us or imputed his righteousness to us as he did in Abraham's life. And this is seen in the light of our belief. And the power of justification comes in the light that God is the one who chooses the soul. And that it's even before any action of faith is worked out, Abraham was credited with righteousness before the covenant of circumcision or the law was given. And that's such an important point. But I want to make something clear. As, as this teaching moves us to realiza the realization of this confidence, we, to we also have to realize that the form and structure of faith, that our worshiping together, the things that the discipline of our lives, the unity of our hearts, is an important response. So I'm not trying to discredit form and structure, but I'm, I want to put it in the right place. Our life responds out of this faith by living it for him that our life construct becomes all about Jesus Christ and he moves and motivates our lives um, you know as, um, as, as something being built on a new foundation um, Dakota and Safwa are building a brand new house and uh, we're excited at some point in time we're going to go and see that house and, um, and Lynn knows this true, and so does Dave. You have to start with a good foundation. If you don't start with a good foundation, your house is not going to be built well, and it won't last. It won't last. So the good foundation is the righteousness of God given to us by faith in belief in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, and that becomes where our whole life is built on from there. Everything. Not compartmentalized, guys. Not compartmentalized. You have a tendency of doing that. Stop it. Stop it. It's everything. 
the decisions you make, where you move from, where you go, what you do, where you worship, what happens. Everything is built off the construct of his righteousness and his movement in our life. And so, um, you know, and, and I mean, it's just, it's just amazing uh, when we think about this. I wanted to make that clear. Um, so uh, the powerful motivation for us even worshiping today should be the fact that he first loved us. We get to love. We get to. That's what draws us. Um, and it's, I mean, it's infectious. Sue and I met um, with an old friend uh, that we hadn't seen in a long time, and it was a great time to be to, to catching up with, with her. And, uh, but there was an, un, an interesting thing that was unfolding, and whether it ever turns to something, I don't know. But it, the interesting thing was the waitress was kind of drawn to us. And she kept coming back to our table and actually getting engaged in the conversation. And as she found out that we were Christians, she said something to us that could have just gone right by us, and that was this. You know, I recently was at a funeral of a friend of mine who took their life through drug overdose. And as the pastor was speaking, I realized that my life had to change. And where that goes is up to her and God. But we, of course, encouraged her and spent some time uh, talking to her and invited her. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the realization, um, as we've been going through Romans uh, 3 and 4, is the fact that in Jesus Christ we are translated from a life identified by our sin to a life transformed into the righteousness of God, living in his identity instead of ours, truly, we should never be the same. We should never be the same. In today's passage, um, the spiritual truth and the physical reality kind of come together in such a way, it's like kind of a musical score. If you've ever gone to um, uh, to the Grand Rapids Symphony or even uh, listened to our own worship leader singing sometimes, there's a portion at the end of the song where the song crescendos. And it kind of builds to a point which draws the listener into that moment and gives them just like a, a moment of ecstasy in the reason of why they were listening to the song at all. And it gives them purpose. And that is what, that's what chapter 4 is doing. Look with me as we read this passage, starting with verse 17. I'm going to be starting with the second half of the verse. It says this. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Look it. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit 
righteousness. For us who believe in him who was raised who raised our, uh, Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so as this musical score crescendos, Abraham has become a great example in regards to saving faith, both in the components of man's faith and God's grace that are involved in salvation. But these components are not equal. They're not equal. There must be the tension that holds them together, but realizing that that the grace of God is their greater work. Ephesians 2 says, For you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. A picture of this is given to us in the fourth chapter of Galatians, 21st uh, through the 23rd. Just want, uh, if you want to go there with me, Galatians 4, 21 through 23, it says this. Talking about uh, those, Galatians, of course, were people who had been saved by grace, and then they, somebody cut in on them and started saying, yeah, yeah, but it's circumcision. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's if you really want to be like us Jews, you have to do like we do. Um, and, uh, and Paul is giving them an exhortation on this, and he says this. Uh, he says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but the son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine power. Ishmael represents the product of legalistic human self-effort. Isaac represents the product of God's sovereignty and gracious provision. It is an important difference. It is the difference that, t- that goes from performance-based Christianity to a Christianity that is based on the performance of God completely and trusting in him and living a life such a way. This passage reveals to us the powerful effect of keeping our eyes on Jesus in the midst of storms of our life. And as this passage says, in the midst of the physical, telling you it's impossible, still walking forward because you serve a God that has not only created the physical, but is able to defy it himself. And so as we walk forward, um, I cannot tell you how many times I have struggled with this. I have struggled with this. I have allowed what I see with my eyes to dictate where my heart goes and the hopelessness that comes out of situations because I see what's happening in the physical. And yet, um, God has been amazingly faithful. Um, But I've also talked to a lot of people who really struggle getting past this reality. That somehow we're locked into what's happening in front of us instead of locked into our faith in Christ. And so this passage comes and, and encourages us. If you remember the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were facing a huge thing because they would not, they would not worship 
the gods of the Babylonians, and they would not bow down to the golden statue. And because of that, they faced this fiery furnace. And in faith, they said, we serve a God that can overcome all this. We serve a God that, um, uh, that can save us in the midst of this fire and, listen to me, and will save us from your rule, which I think is interesting. And they said, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship your gods. We will not bow down to your golden. You know, that's a, that's a huge thing, guys, to be able to come to the place of saying, no matter what happens in my life from this point on, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I serve the God of all creation. He can take my life into the most difficult thing, and I will follow him. He can take my life into another country, and I'll follow him. I, he can take my life through the fire, and yet I will follow him. And so as we think about that, we think about um, what draws somebody to do that? It's this. Is the one you trust in trustworthy? It is the very foundation of it. It's the very, and, and if you don't believe he's trustworthy, you're not going to follow him. And so it's the character of, of, your, of the person you're following, the character of God that's so important. That's where verse 17b is so important for us. Verse 17 describes the character of God. You remember what it says? The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that when you enter in, and so two aspects of God's character that are so important. When you enter into those very difficult moments, those hard things, those things, what? That feel like death and feel like it's the end of everything. That there is no creative power that's going to change this moment. And so that is why. So the first thing is the God who gives life to the dead. In Hebrews eleven twelve it says, And from this one man, Abraham, and he as good as dead, came the descendants, num numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. If you are a believer here today, you are child of Father Abraham through the promise of God. And he is somebody, and if you're a believer here today, there's a reality that happened. You were raised from the dead in your soul. You were raised from the dead. A soul that was dead in its transgressions, Ephesians 2 says, but has been raised to life. Your life does not exist on what you see in the physical. Your life exists because God said, let there be life, and you're living. Do you base that off the character of God uh, in that. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes, no one comes, in, excuse me, I am the resurrection and life. Even if you die, yet you live. You believe that? Do you? Because your life shows that. If you keep running to the salvation of the physical, you're going to miss 
the opportunity that the Holy Spirit has to show you how he can take care of you in the spiritual. And so do you believe that he is, that, that he is the one who brings life? The second thing is this. He calls into being things that were not. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of the invisible. The character of God's creation is that he still is creating today. He's creating new life. We have three young ladies uh, within our midst that are pregnant, and they show us the physical aspect that he's still creating, but he's still creating spiritually. And I believe that. Do you believe that? Now, coming into this, Faith is not some mystic uh, crutch for human uh, need or for human broken spirit. Paul is going to address seven aspects of faith. And they are a saving faith that, that really marked this follower of Jesus Christ and marks every follower of Jesus Christ. But they're not based off of, it's not about setting our intellect aside. And in, in not understanding some truths about God that help to move our faith forward. Um, we talk about a, a leap of faith. We talk about taking a step out in the dark. And I think there is a portion of that. But we don't set our mind aside to do it. In understanding, as the Spirit gives us understanding who God is, it helps us to move forward in Walking in this tough life. And there are aspects to that. First of all, it's that you look honestly at reality. You honestly look at the things that are in front of you and you call them out. You don't deny them. It's hard. Let's stop fooling around and saying it's not. It's hard. Life is hard. You look honestly at reality. The second thing, you look at what you know about God. And third... You come to a reasonable reasonable conclusion because you believe the promises of God. If he said it, it's true. Do you know the promises of God? Are there promises that move your life? Jesus said these words in John 8, 31. 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so, so Paul is, so to speak, opening in these verses the supernatural door behind the gift of righteousness. He's kind of squeaking the door open so that we can take a look inside to see what it looks like to respond in faith to the righteousness of God. And so here it is. As we, as we walk forward, um, remembering that in Genesis 15.5, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. So as Paul opens this door, the first verse uh, is verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. I think there's no greater, no greater aspect of faith than that statement right there. Yes, in the physical it's hopeless. 
Yes, you need to run in the physical to whatever you can find yourself comfort in because there's no hope in the physical. But against hope, in hope, Abraham believed. It is a supernatural walk, trusting in the giver of faith more than in the visible outcome of the faith. It's trusting in the Lord in his righteousness. Uh, Paul said in Galatians 5, 5, for, though, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We have to remember Abraham was 75 when he got the promise of the child. Who's 75 in this room? Anybody? Close to it. Get out of here. Close to it? 77. 77. Okay, we got you by two years. Um, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> we'll just congratulate you now. <laughs> but you know, the, I mean, as we laugh about it, that not that true? It's almost laughable. She did. She did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Isaac got named. <laughs> but you know, but that's the thing. And then listen to me. Not only that, but it was 24 years later that the that that the promise came through. What? Impossible. What what hopeless thing are you looking at right now? That you almost laugh at because you wonder if it can ever come true. If it can really happen. What hopeless thing? Name it. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's too easy. <laughs> but each one of us, if you're walking in faith, each one of the requirements of faith is to look into the impossible and to say, I believe you, God, can do this. Now, if you choose not to, that's your deal. But I believe you can. And, and what's the difference with that? The difference is your footsteps. Because your footsteps determine whether you're walking into the, into the hopelessness, believing, or whether you're letting the hopelessness lead you. It's the whole point. There is no faith without hopelessness. There is no faith. It has to be hopeless. Your salvation was hopeless. Couldn't do a thing about it. You were dead. It's like going into a funeral and saying to the person, hey, stand up and walk. No, they're not going to do that. Why? They're dead. It's hopeless. But faith says he can. He can. And so we don't need a visible sign to believe. We believe before the visible happens. As I said to you, that song means so much to me. And Ryan, I just, thank you. But it just, it, that song, that title sits in my office, pinned up against the back of my wall. And every time I look at it, I look at it and say, in regards to Kimberly, you can do it. I believe you can do it. And uh, it gives me hope that yet the glorious unfolding. Second, in verse 19, A, without weakening in his faith, without weakening his faith, a faith is not weak. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. 
Weak here does not mean little. Okay, Jesus said that if you had a faith of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to jump into the water and it would go. I'm not talking about little. What I'm talking about is the definition of faith here, or weak here. It is, it is um, weak means uh, feeble, powerless, and sick. Um, one which allows doubt, and the doubt to cloud and undermine belief. It is the faith built solely on human reasoning and intellect. Um, determining that God can only accomplish that which you have reasoned he can do. That has formed, unfortunately, so much of the church. You know, when Ryan sang the song about the Holy Spirit moving in among us, how do you really know what you were singing? You're asking for God to unleash a power amongst us to draw our hearts to him, to draw us into unity and to do something in the face of this congregation that is absolutely hopeless and impossible. You really want the Holy Spirit to be unleashed in this place? Do you really want the Spirit of God to move in a way that moves your life into things that you never dreamed to do and to see things you'd never see because God is a God that can do anything? Is that really what you want? Are you praying for it? Because I always say that revival starts with prayer. Are you praying for it? I hope that you are. Hebrews 11, uh, 17 to 19 says this about Abraham and about his move in in, um, in. Walking in faith that is not weak, not clouded, not undermining intellect. It says in the 17th verse, start in 17th verse, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac up as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice the one and only son. If you don't realize that that becomes a picture of Christ, you've missed something. Even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Undermining God's own words, it seemed like. Abraham reasoned, hear it? That God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. A, fake, a, 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 a faith that is not weak, that is not undermined, um, believes the God of the resurrection, believes that God can do it. Today, God is calling someone in this place to come out of a weak faith, a faith that has been pushing doubt into your life. And he's saying, will you, will you walk in faith? Not letting the weakness of your faith cloud you, but walk in faith today. God is saying that to him. And Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. And so we have these, um, a faith that is hope, faith not discouraged. Weak. And third, in verse 19b, a faith not discouraged. 
It says that he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Discouragement is defined as deprived of courage, hope, and confidence. It's realized by the continual objections uh, that, that are raised in our own hearts in response to what we see in the physical world. Have you have discouragement in your life today? Are you facing discouragement? Have you looked at a situation and said, this just ain't no way? Or are you willing to walk through courage? If you remember people from old, Noah faced the courage to build an ark and to preach for 120 years. Joseph experienced discouragement in slavery in prison, in, in slavery in, in Potiphar's house and in prison of the Pharaoh. David experienced discouragement when he was chased by Saul. And Paul was an expert in, in discouragement when he was whipped and left for dead, set in prison, over and over and over, shipwrecked. He knows what he's talking about. What is going on in your heart today? Where is your discouragement that God is calling you to be encouraged? Psalm 42, 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. You have to understand, discouragement is not the variable. It's how we respond to, to discouragement. It's that we, in faith, continue to keep walking, not giving up. Does that make sense to you? You're going to face discouragement as a human being. You're going to, because this world, its resources end at some point in time. They do, because they were never meant to bring us into all eternity. And so at the end of that comes discouragement, and comes a place where you need to respond in faith. Why? Because the one who lives in you is greater than the one that lives in the world. And I pray that you know that. Fourth, verse 19c says this. It says that not only did he face his body as dead, but also Sarah's womb was also dead. The impossibility of Sarah giving birth at 90 is the picture of the impossible faith. When Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the world. You and I see it in relationships that we've experienced. We see it in life. We see people passing away all the time. The reality of death is there. But God is the God of the impossible. You know, sometimes people have looked at faith and they said, well, you know, if I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then everything will go easier. <laughs> come on. Come on. Absolutely we have. We've been, ta we've been taught that. We've been taught that for years. This whole prosperity Christianity has been a thing. But you realize that every, every believer has had to have the Red Sea opened up to them. And they needed to walk from death 
to life. No. They ended up on the other side. In the... No. Yeah, who said that? <laughs> the desert. Yeah, the wilderness. What? What? It opens... Come on, it should be the promised land. Yes, we should be, but we walk into the wilderness. Why is that? What is the work of the wilderness? The work of the wilderness is to reveal to you that he is your strength and portion. He can still bring water out of rocks. He can still bring manna down from heaven. He can still lead you with a pillar of cloud at day and a, and a shining pillar at night. He's the God who leads you through the wilderness of this life to the promised land. <laughs> yes. But, but yeah, you know... Yeah, it's just, it's just crazy if you think about it, but it's true. And, and, yet, and yet what it takes is for us to believe in the impossible, that we literally are being led through this trial and difficulty called life with a new heart, a new spirit, new creation. He's creating us every day. He is giving us the strength to face it, and we're walking. Do you believe that? It's the picture of the impossible. And, and this is it. This is it. Psalm 23, right? Our shepherd will make us lie down in green pastures. He brings, he brings life out of this wilderness if we'll follow him, just like he did the Israelites. But also, um, I, I love this verse, and I'm holding on to it more and more, and you'll know why. Psalm 92, 14 says this. They, the old, will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Isn't that good news? Come on, you all over 60. Yes! 77 years old, praise God. Yes! We were with a, um, a 91 and a 92-year-old this week. Uh, had a cup of coffee and a piece of pie. And they are, at those ages, they are fresh and they're green this is Russ, and his wife, her nickname is Mugs. I love that. We all need to start calling her Mugs. I just love that. But they've joined us over the last months, and uh, they're just fresh and green. That is our God. No matter what you've been through, no matter what circumstances you're facing today, you can have the greenness and the freshness of God if you'll follow him in faith because he's the God of the impossible. Fifth. 20 verse A says, He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. The a faith unwavering. A wavering faith vacillates between faith and doubt. It is a faith that is tossed, listen to this, between two opinions. Between two opinions. It can manifest itself in hostile, mocking spirit, which opposes the possibility of God's ability to overcome. Have you met people with wavering faith? Have you gotten into a conversation with them where you began, that you began to talk about things of the Lord and all of a sudden they became oppositional? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're supposed to be on the same side. What's going on? It's a wavering faith. It's a thing. God is calling us to be unwavering. How do you do that? You only have one opinion. You know the only opinion that matters? God's. It's only many. You know, even yours doesn't anymore. No, it doesn't. 
That is the foundation of an unwavering faith. James 1, 6-8 says this, but when you ask, you must believe in that doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person, listen, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, since a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. An unwavering faith has one opinion. It's God's. He said it. It's true. I believe it. I move forward. And it really comes, the strength comes from trust. It really does. It comes from trust. Again, it goes back to the fact about the character of the one that you have faith in. Do you really believe him to be the God that raises the dead to life and that creates that which wasn't and now is? Do you believe that? Do you? 6 in 20b says these words. That he, um, that he gave glory to God. He was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Glorifying faith is a faith that refuses to not worship. You worship God. You worship God when things are hard. You worship God when things are easy. You worship God when it seems like life is going totally against you. You worship God. Um, in the midst of all things. It is really literally the laying down of one person's life for another is our act of worship. I'm so glad that the song that, that, that Ryan sang for us today talked about a sacrificing love. We don't get that. We don't get that. We have so built our love picture on the, um, on the superficial love of this world. You know, if Mark doesn't love me, I'm going to love him. Get out of my life. It's true. But God calls me to love Mark whether Mark likes me or not. So brother, and if we had more of that, this place would be overflowing. The reason this place is not overflowing is because we believe the superficial love and I've been hurt and I'm out of here. Well, I've been hurt too. I can't let it divert me from what God is calling me to do. And I can't let it stop me from loving those that he's brought into my life. Can't let it. Can't let it. 1 John 5, 10 uh, through 11 says these words. It's in here. My last pages are falling to pieces. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony my God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The whole point of glorifying faith is the fact that Jesus lives in me. And the Son of God always worships his Father. That's the reason I worship. Because within me is a greater power that continually worships God. Does the Son of Man, does the Son of God live in you? You'll worship. Ryan won't have to coerce you to sing because your heart will already be singing. He just gives you the opportunity to sing along with some songs. Does your heart sing? Does it glorify God? No matter what the circumstances and no matter how you feel, there's times I don't feel like worshiping. But the Son of God rises up inside of me and says, worship me. Yes, sir. Because it's not about a feeling. It's a God who loves and who's loved me so much that he sent his own son. And then finally, is the faith fully persuaded? You saw it. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. What is a fully persuaded faith? It is a never-ending faith. It makes one certain of the outcome that all will be accomplished exactly as the trustworthy one has determined. God is... My wife had a situation in which she was just feeling down one day. And so she began to pray and say, God, if you would just bring a couple deer in the back of the yard. I, I just need a hug. I just need a hug by God. And so she picked her head up from that prayer and kind of went on with the day, didn't see a deer. And she said her attitude was, well, you know, that you're not a genie, so I still worship you. It's okay. And so she went on her day. The next day she went out for her devotions. There were three deer in the rain, laid down for an hour in front of her. She just began to cry and say, God, you gave me a hug. Thank you. You are listening to what I'm saying. Thank you for being here. Paul said it this way, I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him against that day. The greatest act of faith believes the only gift we get to give to God is our whole being, myself. I get to give you to, God, to you, and I entrust you with me. That's the gift of faith. That is the faith that um, is fully persuaded. Um, you know, if I, uh, if I asked my wife to stand on the chair and to fall back into my arms, you think she'd do it? <laughs> it's an example of the fact that she would fully trust me. Now, at 30, she might have been more confident that I had more muscles, but fully persuaded is that I absolutely trust God with my life, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm facing. I trust him to maintain and so as the Spirit of God, so to speak, peeled back this accredited righteousness, looking behind, seeing that faith is a faith of hope, 
not weakened, not discouraged, believing the impossible, unwavering, glorifying, and fully persuaded that God is able to do it. This is the faith that Abraham had. Because in the verse that I started the service out with, it says that Jesus said, and he saw my coming and was glad to see it. Every believer sees Christ in their heart, knows that he is the true Savior of all, and lives gladly knowing it. And it changes their life forever. Faith is seeing the unseeable, hearing the unhearable, believing that which is beyond belief, and trusting the incomprehensible. That's what faith is. And it's an awesome gift. And this is the encouragement is this in verse 22. That is why it was accredited to him as righteousness. The words it was accredited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The great gift every one of us get to see in our hearts today is what only Abraham could see in a, in, in a shadow. We see the risen Christ. We know where the cross was. We know that his life has been, um, has been true and has been proven by more documentation than any other human being in the world. We know he lives. We know he died on a cross. And we know that his grave is empty. And that he arose again from the dead. And that foundationally becomes a faith to walk forward in whatever situation we are living in. It is the awesome gift of faith. Paul said in Acts 26, 6 through 8, and now it is because, as he's talking to Agrippa, he says, now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our ancestor tribes were hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly served God day and night. King Agrippa, it was because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should... Any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead. In our ending time uh, today, I, I, I read a quote uh, by Woody Allen. And he said this. He says, it's not necessarily that I'm afraid of death, but that I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> it, is the, it is the statement of unbelief that so permeates our world. As we, as we don't really know and understand the character of the God that we serve and who he really is and what he has come to do and how he's created everything and he can bring life out of death. And I know there are some in the room today that are looking in areas of their life and they're believing it to be dead or they're believing that it cannot be created into life. And I'm telling you, by the grace of God, that it is not true. Unbelief always looks at life in the light of the physical. Faith always looks at our problems in the light of the promises. What promises are you holding on to today? What is it that you know about God that is telling you when you're facing something? You know, it's, 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 it's a wavering faith that moves into sin. 
because I need protection. It's, it's, it's the faith of the impossible that looks at the physical life and says there's no way that it can ever change. But it's a God of this faith that can do all things. And faith says, even if you don't, I will trust you. So Jesus said in, in, in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. And so, as an ending poem, this God who delivers his son over to death for our sins and raises him to life for our justification, as I read this poem, in all hope against all human hope, self-desperate I believe, faith, mighty faith, the promises seize. And look to that alone. Laugh at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done, I believe. Is that the faith that you have today? Do you believe a God who raises the dead and brings life from what wasn't? It's my prayer that you do. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we, uh, as we come uh, to the conclusion of chapter 4, and as we have uh, looked at uh, this thing called um, the righteousness of God, peeled back um, the reality that happens within the soul of a human being and the transformation and change that happens as our life, Lord, has been translated um, from the control of this world and transformed into new creation in Jesus Christ. I pray that, Father, that we will be a people, people that walk in faith and not by sight, that we'll be a people that looks at the world differently and that we'll be a people that never gives up on anybody but continues to fight for the heart and soul of others. For Father, you're the one that has never given up on us. Thank you for the example of Abraham. Thank you, Lord, for his walk. Even though he was not perfect in his actions, Lord, he followed you. And you honored that. You accredited his belief with righteousness. Lord, let today that be for something new, someone new today. That today move in our hearts in a way that is true and honest, so that we can look at life honestly. We can feel the pain of its reality, and yet, instead of running, we stay steady, we stay walking. You said that those who hope in you will walk and not grow weary, and will run and not grow faint. And so, Father, let that be someone I need to hear that today. May we continue to walk forward together in faith. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Let that hope lead us today in the name of your son, Jesus. All God's people said, amen. amen.